Welcome back to Integrateness. I love the way that just rolls off the tongue. It, uh, we're a mental health podcast. My name is Jason, along with Jolene. She's the expert. I'm just the guy on the street dealing with shit. <laughs> and then we're here to share our experiences and talk through as much as we can to help you face your day and your traumas and your mental health issues with just more ease and comfort and understanding. That's our, our mission statement, maybe. Yeah, we want you to be blasting into your greatness. Exactly. And th this one is, is an interesting topic. Um, of course, Jolene shared her story. I've shared my story over the last couple episodes. Um, vicarious trauma, which is is a thing. It's a real honest to goodness thing. And Jolene, you actually went and, and looked up the, the official definition of what this is. Yeah, and we have so many different definitions, like I'll give a definition of, of trauma itself as well, um, but the vicarious trauma. So trauma uh, in the way that we use it here in therapy with like EMDR work and some of the other approaches that I use is trauma is any event that is negative and unexpected, and it makes you feel confused, overwhelmed, and powerless. Okay, so that's the working definition that me and my colleagues use here in the neuro like psychosomatic kind of work that we do here negative and unexpected. So we can think of lots of things in our lives that are that, that left us feeling confused, overwhelmed and powerless. So that is trauma. That is typically what we're all going to like pay attention to. We know when things happen to us, when it's a direct impact, but what happens when we witness that happen to somebody else, right? That brings a whole other piece. That's what the vicarious trauma is. And I really like this definition. This was from the British Medical Association. It's a process of change resulting from empathic engagement with trauma survivors. Ooh. A pro yeah, a process of change resulting from empathic engagement with trauma survivors. So this really lends to, you know, the, the first responders, helping professionals, things like that. But I really thought that was interesting because as you dive into vicarious trauma, it's about what you are continually doing to the exposure of the trauma. And it, you can there's different results of what can happen to that. It can change your worldview and you can become really cynical and calloused. And I'll talk about that in my old government job. I actually became quite numbed out. I remember, um, you know, my partner would call me like, like just cold hearted. And I was like, this just is like, you just get, you normalize that stuff so much that you can't even bleeding heart it anymore because you're in, you're in it all the time in the thick of it. Right. Um, so it is a process of change. The other thing is it can, it can kind of do the opposite and make you just really appreciative about everything in your life. And you become like, everything is so much more valuable. So I'm definitely on that end of the spectrum now, but when I was in it, needing to protect myself from it and the constant normalization of all of it, I definitely numbed out for sure. Well, and I can relate to that too. Cause I was like, we've talked about, I was, a, I was a journalist for 10 years, basically nine and a half of those were on the crime beat. So, so the day-to-day -day trauma like if it bleeds it leads if it's anything negative or horrible or anything it was like front page news right and so that was my my gig for 10 years basic part of 10 years and i totally numbed out like it was just common like you know and now even i've been out of it for eight years and i'm still on the cynical side of things like i'd still be on say i'm well on the cynical side of things i don't like people are getting all worked up about stuff around them, you know, like, you know, as, as horrible as it was like the 215 children at the residential school, um, you know, the black lives matter movement after that, all that and during this in the state. And I'm just like, what's the big deal? Like, yeah, I, it, I'm shocked that people are shocked that this goes on because to me, that's just normal. Yeah. You were in it all the time. Yeah. 
Yeah. So maybe if you want to give a couple of examples of some of the things that just started to pile up and again, that workplace tolerance, the normalization of it, and just the, even the lack of awareness, like I worked at mental health and addiction. So we had a bit more awareness. We do like little debriefs, like, do you need to debrief? Most people would say no, because their caseload was too busy. They don't have time to debrief and they don't even want to tolerate what comes up. So they're like, no, I'm okay. Right. So I also want to talk about like mandatory debriefing and things like that with, um, you know, first responders and stuff, because I see so much of that in my work. And I think it would be beneficial if people didn't have to choose to do it. They were just mandated to do it. You know, Yeah, we had none. We did no debriefing at the paper like <laughs> at all. Like, I, I think once I remember going, it was on a Friday. It may have been before a long weekend. There was a cabin fire out at Blind Bay. So I went out there and two kids had burned to death in that cabin fire. And I was basically standing about 15 feet away from them. Like you, you couldn't see them, but they were there and you could smell the wood and, and everything else. I remember coming back to the paper, got back late. Cause it always, that stuff would happen at three o'clock in the afternoon, right? You're off at five. So you're hour there, hour back. It was like seven or eight. And one of the other journalists, Robert Koopmans was there and he used to be the crime guy. And then he'd become the court guy. And I remember him just sort of saying like, you know, how are you? Yeah. When I got back and I was kind of writing, about it, I said, yeah, I'm good. And then I kind of paused. I'm like, I'm not actually doing that good. I don't think <laughs> like, you know what I mean? That was kind of, the, I, yeah. I kind of realized something I don't feel right. Yeah. And, and that feeling permeated, but it became so normal. It, I associated it with normal. I mean, there was, remember a guy trying to um, kill himself by drowning himself in, in the, the river and he'd gone to Riverside park and just kind of walked out into the water. And we wouldn't cover that kind of thing unless it's public, a suicide. So it's very public. I remember going down there. I remember the you know, fire department going in and getting him out and having to drag him out because he didn't want to come out of the water. And they're trying to revive him on the beach. And I remember just, you just watch, just waiting to see what would happen. And they loaded him into an ambulance and took him away. And he eventually just died on the en route to the hospital. But those are just two things. There's guaranteed one of those, something like that a week, be it you know, an accident, where someone was really badly, badly hurt or lost a loved one or talking to a relative of someone who had died in an accident or there was a fire and people lost their home. You know what I mean? Like, and it was one of those things where at first it's really exciting. It's all that cool shit you saw on TV or in the movies and you're like kind of a part of it, but then it, you, you realize how real it is and the fallout on everyone else around them. Yeah, I love that you comment on that because I think that phenomenon happens in a lot of places. We're eager, especially when we're new in the field. I think back to like the mental health days, it was kind of like the hardest cases you could take the more you were proving yourself in the field, right? Like my caseload was uh, primarily high mental health, high substance use. So schizophrenia, crystal meth, cocaine use. So they were very psychotic and out of touch with reality, very high risk. Um, and that was like the intensity of my caseload. They were the ones nobody wanted, right? So there was a bit of that like, you know, personal drive from my end. I was really passionate about the field and, and that line of work and the job that I did. But there was also this like incredibly high tolerance for those kinds of things. There was, you know, always risk associated with driving them in my vehicle, being in their homes, all of these things, right? And there's, there's this piece of like, 
at first it's exciting and it's kind of proving your worth in the job a little bit too, right? And it kind of digs you in deeper and, and it is kind of fascinating because some of the shit you just literally can't believe, right? You're just like, oh, I can't believe that happened or this. So there's that piece of it. And I think sometimes that is like our way of bypassing all these red flags that are like danger zone, danger zone, right? And then all of a sudden we get into the thick of it and you're you're totally kind of numbed out and unaware and normalized to it it's like the frog in boiling water it really is right until i think there's like these catalysts that kind of are the trojan horse to letting all the cat out of the bag right for you it was your son being sick and all of a sudden it was like whoa wait a sec i think i need some help there's a whole bunch that's piled up for me you know i look back and i had prolonged like daily high risk client interactions all of the time. And then of course the demands. So the demands on you to get the story done in time. And then the demands on me to like deal with caseloads and families wanting their kids to go somewhere and hospitalizations and all of that. Right. Um, but I had, um, you know, I had deaths, I had suicides. I actually had, um, a couple of sexual harassment cases that went to court that were very disturbing. Um, you know, I even had a sexual harassment incident with a colleague. They weren't always with clients, I had, I left there with, um, I was there for like 13, 14 years. I left there with three no contact orders. Again, one of these young men had been sexually harassing me and I was pregnant at the time. A couple of these times happened when I was pregnant and I was at my most vulnerable and it was really conflicting because these were people that I cared for. They were on my caseload. Um, and I felt very betrayed and violated by them at the same time. It was a very bizarre incident. And then also you know, management not responding to things appropriately as well. Um, and it, it, was a, it was a very conflicting time dealing with some of those pieces. But, um, you know, I had one client who um, suicided and was found, he was a missing person for quite some time. I was the only person advocating for him. He had no family. And um, when they found him, I had to go and identify him. And that was something that I, it was super important for me to do to value his life. No one had been looking for him, but there's identification pieces that like you don't, they, they burn into your brain in different ways, right? So it's really interesting how all of that at no point was I like, yeah, I really need to debrief this. It was kind of just like move to the next one. And especially through some of those, um, the death threats and the um, sexual harassment stuff, all that happened within like a six month period. I think there was three or four instances and I was pregnant with my twins at the time. So it was just a really conflicting time. It was really, it was a lot. I don't even think I had time to like sit down and digest some of it. Right. Um, but yeah, when you finally step out of that, which I'm out of it now, I'm like, oh my God, I was so armored up to be in all of that, all of the time, right? And how normalized it became more and more and more. And the worse that the homelessness um, kind of crisis came out, our whole agency shifted in how much it was tolerating things. And the level of violence um, was tolerated more than it ever should have been from a cultural standpoint within the office. It was really bizarre to witness it's it's weird how that i mean because that newsrooms are like that too they're very kind of um aggressive places verbally violent places right like you don't wuss out at all like it just doesn't happen and it, it's very much a culture of that too and it, it makes you it, it just it makes you wonder how many people who worked in your environment my environment are fucked up but didn't know it yeah yes right and didn't and didn't even think about it or didn't want to say something totally not even fucked up but like 
so impacted by that. Like now, every time you walk down the stairs to go to your vehicle, are you checking behind you seven times? Like, is there this like underlying anxiety of, well, I can't go that way because this person's going to be overdosed over here or, you know, all these kinds of, that's exactly it. Right. So recognizing like, where is this playing out in other places in my life that I'm totally unaware of? Well, and yeah. for me, I remember it'd be like coming home and before bed, checking the doors yeah. three or four times. Right. And, and I still do it. I catch myself doing it still. Oh, and just, I always forget to look. <laughs> right. <laughs> and just being aware, like you start seeing certain kinds of people, quote unquote, mm -hmm. and just wondering if they're up to something. Cause you, you get used to a type of person who's involved in a certain kind of activity because you see it all the time. And that's that cynical response. That's the response, how it changes your worldview, right? You, you also get this very realistic, like behind the scenes of like, this is what I know now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it's fascinating to look at, especially eight years removed. Because, you know, what I do now, there's there's very little vicarious trauma, even opportunities for it, right? Sometimes you hear people's stories of what they're experiencing, but that's about it. Yeah, but I mean, even then, you know, what we're witnessing in the world, we're vicariously experiencing too, right? Like what we're hearing about down in the States or overseas, these are all pieces that people feel really impacted by, but then don't want to credit themselves as impacted by it because they're like, well, it doesn't really affect me. Right. But again, it's the process of change resulting from empathic engagement with trauma survivors. When we are watching very realistic media coverage and firsthand stories, like with social media, people are sharing firsthand stories way more now, actual, like, you know, first person videos. I guess we are interacting with trauma survivors, aren't we? So we, we are. are exposing ourselves in ways we could never expose ourselves before before it was literally what was on the front page of the paper or the news now we have access to those kinds of very raw footage um much easier right so maybe we're actually exposed a little bit more as well um it makes even, you wonder because there, there's a, a big talk about how harmful social media really is right now it's really starting to come to light how like you know facebook instagram tiktok all that stuff is not good for you to digest especially for young people yeah. And for us, like witnessing so many people in crisis all the time, especially in BC, the environmental crisis is, which we're going to talk about more in like childhood trauma and how our, our, the current state of like generations growing up are being impacted by some of this stuff. We'll talk about that next episode. Follow us now. <laughs> um, <laughs> But essentially, yeah, looking at some of that and how I said, you know, it's it's almost like the Trojan horse of when it finally impacts your life directly, then it's like we realize, holy shit, there's some stuff in here. And it's like that file had been building up, building up, but we never really categorized it as that or it was like misfiled because it wasn't about us. We didn't actually think there was almost like this nice little cage or this door that kept it from actually applying to us. But, you know, once you have kind of this catalyst or the big, oh, wait, this did impact me. It all comes out, you know, like I work with somebody who tended to, you know, just driving home. There was a car accident and a death that he tended to. Then there was another incident. And then it wasn't until like there was a death in his own personal life that he realized, holy smokes, all these other things were impacting me as well. But this is kind of like the Trojan horse that let it all out, you know, the yeah. straw that the camel's back. And I think I see that happen in a lot of scenarios and where we see that with like first responders is where like this one incident will literally make the officer snap and that's it. They're off work. They're on long-term disability forever after yeah. that. Right. And that's why I think it would be so beneficial to have mandatory treatment and they all have benefits, but who's going to go, who's going to go. If you had mandatory treatments where just like you have to, you know, with um, I'm sure like your firearms recertification, all of that, I, I think maybe they do like a, a special, like 
psych assessment or something, but I mean like actually just like establish a relationship with a counselor, go four to six times a year. You can talk about, you know, your son getting a soccer championship. I don't give a shit what you talk about, but use the time. And most of the time they would use it to process something out and just empty the bucket, empty the bucket. So it's not going to overflow the same way. That's kind of my thoughts there. But, you know, as people are listening, they're like, well, yeah, Jason, of course you've got some stuff. And Jolene, of course, like, look at the job you were doing before. But I really want people to be like, you know, like, do you work at a gas station? Are you worried about getting robbed every night? You know, what, what does vicarious trauma look like? You know, did you watch somebody get curb stomped in the parking lot? Um, you know, what is it that you've witnessed? You know, sometimes you've witnessed a car accident. Maybe you witnessed somebody um, have a heart attack somewhere. Like, and then that reminded you of when your grandpa died or something. Like, there's sometimes all of these things we don't really realize where we're sort of witnessing this um and it doesn't always have to be in your career it could be in your personal life too but some of the most obvious ones that you know i don't think get enough credit are like people who work in administrative positions and they're actually like dictating or typing out the info in some of these scenarios so at the courthouse when i was at forensics you know our admin staff used to have to type up really graphic reports for the courts that had really vivid information. So they're hearing it and they're typing it. That is getting imprinted somewhere, right? Very disturbing. Um, so yeah, like hospital clerks, um, even like cleaning staff at the hospital, what they probably witness after a, a trauma incident in, an, in, in a trauma room or something, like what they have to clean up, all of these things. You never really know what is continually triggering people that they have to kind of numb out to, hey? Well, even like teachers, like so dealing with some kids maybe come from abusive homes or like neglectful homes, right? Like you wouldn't think that that would have an impact on you, but to hear that even once, it just needs to get in once. That's it. And it's begun, right? Then you're more, you're more susceptible to the next thing and the next thing. And then seeing the person, the car accident on the side of the road as you go home affects you. Like it all just builds once you've got that first and we all have a first. Oh yeah. It just can spiral. Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you brought up the teacher thing. I work with so many teachers who have to process some of the difficulties they have with kids in their class. Um, and, you know, it always amazes me. I always tell people, I'm like, God, I really wish that your work would just foot the bill for this because 95% of your therapy is to deal with your job. This is ridiculous, you mm -hmm. know, but people choose their wellness. So, and they love their jobs or they want to stay in their jobs. So they intentionally choose to come to therapy to help deal with it. Right. Um, yeah. It's very interesting how, how much people have to process their work stress in their counseling sessions. And I think it's up to the employers too, to be aware of what's mm -hmm. going on, like pay attention. Cause I remember going up and when I kind of figured out this isn't good, it might even have been slightly before before Griffin was born and saying, like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do the police beat anymore. I'm I'm done. Like, I just I'm done. But their and their response was simply like, yeah, but you're so good at it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we need you to do it. You're so good at it. Like, yeah. and that that's the fucking stupidest reason. <laughs> just because someone, if someone's saying I can't do this anymore, you need yeah. to listen. Yeah. And that was like that. the worst feedback for you too because that shows the depth of like how much you entrenched yourself in it and had to yeah. survive, be that good at it right yeah so that's something i mean if, if there's anyone who's like owns a business who has employees that maybe are coming up and saying you know I, I just i don't feel great doing this anymore i don't feel safe could i switch to a different role or a different time or whatever just listen just take a moment to listen well, because how hard was that for you? I mean, that's that's the piece of like, I can't do this anymore. How many of us are willing to just like throw up the white flag? Not not very many, not very often, right? No. Like, it takes a lot for us to get to that point usually. So there you go, vicarious trauma. Is there anything else we should touch on, Jolene? No, 
we didn't really give a lot of like um what to do about it <laughs> so go 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 sort that shit out guys <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you're gonna want to go to therapy for this but but really what you want to do is really recognize and give credit to the areas of your life where vicarious trauma may have um been piling up and recognizing that like oh there might be a whole bunch of stuff to unpack here and recognize that that will directly impact how you are um, responding and interacting in your life and, and in your relationships with loved ones, because some of your responses are going to be the same as a trauma response. It's going to affect your sleep. It's going to affect your anxiety. It's going to affect, again, that outlook on the world. Um, are you cynical? Are you extra anxious? Are you preparing yourself more? Do you have more obsessive thinking about some things? Are you more cautious? What are some of these things? There are, um, you know, positive uh, ways that we respond to it in terms of becoming more grateful and not taking things for granted and all of that. But there's still a traumatic response that's occurring. Um, so, yeah, I do encourage you if you start to identify with some of this and it's really sparked a bit of interest in you, um, you know, we can, we can tidy that stuff up. EMDR is brilliant for those sort of events too, right? So um, I'm a big fan of that and it is fast and effective and efficient and we're kind of like a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am society. And that's really what I love about that treatment as well. So, but it's about connecting all of the dots, making sense of some of this stuff and not, you know, pathologizing and blaming self that like, oh, what have I done wrong? Like, no, this happens and when you witness something the energetic dust of that gets imprinted on your brain your nervous system right like our nervous system responds to the trauma before our brain even does so we'll talk about that a little bit more in the next series as well yeah because we do have a whole we do have episodes about just how you do deal like yeah. you know how exercise plays a part how like going to counseling plays a part like we've, we've got other episodes so if, if it doesn't seem like we're going to give you the the fix it response every episode they are that's coming yeah, we want to show you guys where these topics are relevant, because most people, when you say the word trauma, they're like, me, it doesn't apply to me. And I guarantee you that something has been sparking in your mind throughout what we gave as examples of like, oh, shit, is that what that was? Could that have been trauma? You know? Yeah. Because I think sometimes people think it's this big, massive event that occurs to you that, no, again, remember, trauma is negative and unexpected, and it makes you feel confused, overwhelmed, and powerless. And that's pretty easy to feel all three of those things at the same time. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Well, next week, like we said, childhood trauma and how that affects you for the rest of your life. Or may not. <laughs> Tune in next week to find out. Until then, I'm Jason. I'm Jolene. And we'll see you next week.